morning, gentlemen. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we have come here before you uh, not to study your word, but to be studied by your word, Lord, that we would become more into the image of Christ. So God, this time is yours, and nothing will happen apart from your spirit. So we, we plead with you, Lord, may the Holy Spirit change us. We love you. Amen. Morning, guys. My name is John. I serve here at Watermark in the uh, recovery ministry. And uh, I had a, can we turn this uh, feedback thing off? It's like shooting in my ear. It's, uh, as I was preparing to talk with you guys this morning, I thought about this incredible illustration for this, this time that I was in Haiti six years ago, that I did something that was incredibly foolish, short-sighted, and stupid. And it was, it was perfect. But then Monday happened, and God gave me a real example of something that was foolish, short-sighted, and stupid. And uh, the catch of this is that by noon on Monday, I had, a- I had asked my wife for forgiveness three times. By noon. I mean, you aren't awake that many hours, so you can do the math. So within a 24-hour period, by noon on Monday, I had asked my wife, Laura, for forgiveness three times. Now, here's where it gets even worse. Not for anything I had done. I hadn't done anything wrong. It's what I had said. Now, if the irony hasn't caught you yet, today we're talking about James chapter 3 and the taming of the tongue. And so for my speech, three times, I'd ask my wife for forgiveness. That's embarrassing and sobering because I've been studying this passage for the last couple of months as I've been trying to learn, okay, what can I teach about, come together on Thursday about the taming of the tongue and the very week of my tongue is foul and I'm hurting my wife. So let me tell you a little bit about those. The first one, I was moving some furniture around in the house and I needed to unplug the carbon monoxide alarm. And so when you do, it starts going off. It thinks there's a power failure. So beep, 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 beep. My wife's in the other room in our little boy's nursery with like a white noise sleep machine on. So all she can hear is the beeping. And she says, babe. And I go, yeah, I got it. It's the alarm. She's like, oh, okay. Keep doing it, moving the furniture, but it's still going off. I'm like hitting test and reset. Beep, beep, beep. Hey, babe, there's an alarm going off. Yeah, I've got it. I'm working on it. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, babe, there's an alarm going off. I go, yeah, I've got it. It's the alarm. But then she didn't say anything else again. So I was like, great, she finally heard me. I go back to moving the furniture. I plug it back in the wall, and she walks around the corner. She doesn't say a word. She just goes. <laughs> and then she says, not okay. <laughs> it wasn't so much what I said, it's how I said it. The next one, I was having my quiet time. I'm reading the word, praying, sanctifying time, you know, right? I'm drawing near to God. <clears throat> and I look out the window and I see a car pull up. You know, I'm not dressed yet. So I was like, hey, are you expecting someone? Because there's a woman in the car and I'm not dressed and... She's like, oh yeah, so-and-so from community's coming over. And I go, well, that would have been a great heads up. That just flew out of my mouth involuntarily there with the word of God. I was like, awesome. This is the best one. She's feeding our little boy. That's an important thing. You know, that's critical. <clears throat> we didn't have any prepared meals in the house. 
And uh, she's, you know, doing a slow cooker that day for our meal that evening. She's taking care of me, and she's taking care of her little boy. She texts me. She takes five seconds to text me. Hey, could you order me a pizza? Then we get on a phone call because I'm indignant. And I'm like, sweetheart, you know I'm at work. I'm at work, and I have things to do. I say this. You're a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Wait for it. I said... You know, this just doesn't seem very much like Proverbs 31. She goes, I don't think I can have this conversation right now. I hope you're applauding for my wife and not me. So I didn't need an illustration from Haiti. I needed that illustration. God was like, that's what you're telling him on Thursday, that you can't tame your tongue. That you yourself are a foul-mouthed jerk apart from me. You walk in and tell him that. And that they maybe need this message too. Because the most important verse in this little passage that we have, James 3, 1 through 12, the most important verse, guys, don't miss this. It's verse 8, in my opinion. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. That means you can't tame your own tongue. You need something more. You need someone more. So today we're going to talk about taming of the tongue And as we do, I want you to stop thinking about my foolishness and my sin, and you let this word examine you as a mirror to your soul, and you think about your foul mouth rather than mine. I've already put mine out there. James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Listen, but no man, men of summit, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See Monday. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James 3, 1 through 2, the test of a teacher. The test of a teacher is his talk. It says that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. Laura pointed this out to me when she kindly and sweetly, as my helpmate said, hey, so-and-so, husband, he talks like that, but he doesn't know any better. You, I know you know better. That's not you. That's not who you are. And so my helpmate held me to a stricter judgment. And she said, no, no, wait, you're a teacher of the word? You know better. You know you're not supposed to talk like that. And she was right. And I needed to hear that. 
But I don't want you to miss this because it says, we who teach, brothers, that's a verb, we who teach. All of us are teachers. Everyone in this room, if you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you then are called to make disciples, and as such, you are a teacher. If you say, well, hold on, I'm not a pastor, I'm not teaching summit, I'm not leading my community group, I'm not a teacher, I I would beg to argue, and if you still dig your heels in on that one, I'd say, great, we have a bigger problem. But all of us are teachers, and the way that I know that, or at least should be, is because of what Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are all to be discipling and teaching others. And if you say, well, wait, that was given to the apostles. That wasn't given to me. He goes on to say, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. As far as I know, all of the apostles died before 100 AD. That means now here we are, closer to the end of the age. Jesus is with us, and the same call that was given to them is upon us, and therefore we are teachers However big or small, whether you're the head pastor of a church or you're the head pastor of your family, you're a teacher of God's word. And so you are held to a stricter standard because as what comes out of your mouth, the word of God, as you disciple or pray for your family or instruct them in the ways of God, telling them about Jesus, how people can be reconciled to the Lord, that there is forgiveness of sins in Christ, they're also going to be listening to the other words that come out of your mouth and they will hold you to a stricter judgment as they should, saying, wait, you know better than to talk like that. So who are you teaching in your life? Who are you teaching and what would they say is an area of weakness or an area of growth or an area where your, your mouth did not match up with your Messiah and what he says? The test of a teacher is his talk, not the quality of his teaching. It's his talk. James 3, 3 through 5. Power does not equal usefulness. I'm going to say that again. Power does not equal usefulness. I've got a riddle for you. What has four legs at dawn and often goes astray, but six legs at noon and never goes the wrong way? The coffee is right around the corner around the back. A horse. The answer is a horse ridden by its master. A horse without a master often going astray. A horse with its master never turning the wrong way. Power does not equal usefulness. A horse without a master is really just making a mess of your field. A horse with a master can do a great many things. And that's what James is going to tell us here with that analogy and also with the ship. In other words, What's on the screen there? Great power, the horse, the boat, you, your tongue. Great power requires greater guidance. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Great power requires greater guidance to be used greatly. We all as men want to be used greatly. That is hardwired into us. The problem is when we say, I want to be used greatly for my glory by my power. God says, well, you exalt yourself, I will humble you. 
But when we say, God, I want to be used greatly, and I want to be used greatly for your kingdom, for your glory, he says, great, I need you to be led by greater guidance, me. So I gave you great power. You be led by me, and you will be used greatly for eternal purposes. James 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, listen, so that they obey us, meaning God. The analogy here is God putting a bit into our mouth, controlling our mouth so that we obey him, so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, the tongue, wherever the will of the pilot directs. This is about the pilot directing. It has little to do with the ship. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A rudder by itself is worthless. A tongue by itself is worthless. It's who's guiding that. Let me tell you a little story about my sailing experience as we talk about ships. I grew up going to a camp that was on Table Rock Lake in Missouri. Beautiful lake. And on that, from the age of 10 to 18, I sailed on that lake. And I sailed these little 10-foot, they were called sunfish, a little fiberglass boat with a mast. I'm seeing some head nods, a main sheet, a halyard, the cleats, the rudder, the dagger board, the works. I still remember all of it. And I could sail those things well. At first, I was terrified, but after 10 years or 8 years, I mean, I could, I could sell it well on Table Rock. Figure eights, you know, they'd wave to come back or sound the air horn. I'd zip it back in, never hitting another boat. So at the age, you know, I don't know, somewhere in my mid-20s, I'm in an all-inclusive resort in the Caribbean, and uh, there's this girl I wanted to impress, and I see these sailboats, these sunfish. And I was like, hey, you want to go for a sailboat ride? She's like, yes. So I was like, great. So we walk over to the uh, little sailboat crew, and I'm like, we would like to take out a sailboat. He's like, great, what time? I said, now. He's like, well, you can't go now. We need a guide to take you out. I was like, no, your guide has arrived. I am the guide. And he was like, no, no, you, you have to have a guide to take these out. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Look, I know how these boats work. Look, this is a dagger board. This is the rudder. Here's the mast, the main sheet, the halyard. I know how all of this works. Frankly, I, I'm concerned to say I think the guy was at that point learning from me. And I was like, and I convinced him. He's like, okay, sign this release. And, and she sits in the cockpit, which is really... Uh, half the depth of a bathtub. I mean, it's six inches deep. You're sitting on the deck of the boat with your feet that deep, which is the cockpit. I push it out, swim it out, climb into the cockpit, and uh, I pull that halyard main sheet, gets tight with that Caribbean trade wind, and boom! We are out with a force that I have never felt before on Table Rock Lake. We have caught these Caribbean trade winds and she's like wind in the hair until she looks back at me and I'm like, all the blood has left my face and I'm terrified. We've crossed over the reef. We're into shark territory. And I'm like, if I don't turn this in 10 minutes, we're going to hit Cuba. (laughs) And so I start to turn the rudder just to see what'll happen. And this thing cranks over at like a 30 degree angle. The sail starts catching water. At this point, she's like a cat in, in... water scurrying up the side of the thing. So I drop it back. We're again just off to sea. And I'm thinking, I mean, I don't know what to do. I'm a few rum punches into it at this point in time. And I'm like, I don't know what to do here. 
And uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, by the way, for no one who's ever heard that. Like, what's he talking about? <laughs> Those days are over. Uh, so I was like, there, there's no way around this. Like, I can't turn it slow. I try letting out the sail, but wind is coming from every direction, perfect storm. So I'm like, I can't even let out the sail. I just got to crank this. So I say, get in the cockpit. She's like, what? Cowers down, and I just throw the rudder. And the boom, which is the big metal bar that carries the main sheet, swings over even faster than we were going, hits her in the head, yep, catches my life jacket and throws me into the sea. And I'm just dragging, (laughs) she's now in the boat and I'm dragging behind it. So uh, I get back in the boat and at this point I've dropped the halyard so the sail is just flapping and we're just... And she looks back at me, as only women can, with this nonverbal, two facial expressions at once. It was a hybrid. It was, I hate you, and I need you to get me back. And so at that point, we were pointed back towards shore. All the staff had gathered and were like megaphones and whatnot. I couldn't hear them. We were six miles out. I just saw them and was like, I'm going to get kicked off. Pulled the halyard. Sail goes tight just as fast. I pull up the dagger board right as we're about to hit shore and we coast up onto shore like it's an amphibious vehicle. And uh, needless to say, the relationship didn't work out. The reason why I go to that length and detail to share that story is because all of us have people that are in our boat in some way or another. It may be your wife, it may be a roommate, it may be your children, a coworker, a team member, your community group. And if you have great power and it is not being greatly guided, it will not be greatly used. In fact, it will scare people, it will hurt people, it will cause damage and death of relationships. If you do not allow that greater power or great power, to be guided by a greater one. I needed a guide out there on that boat, and so do you in your relationships. Don't forget that we're talking about the tongue. You've got to have God harnessing your tongue, led by him. Otherwise, you're going to be like me out there at sea, hurting people and scaring them and offending them and doing things you ought not to do, and saying things you ought not to say, because you don't have that guide there with you daily. I'm not talking about, yeah, I placed my faith in Jesus when I was eight. I'm talking about today, tomorrow, the next day, every day being guided, that power being having a greater guide so that it can be used greatly. James 3, 5 through 12, your speech is source. Your speech shows the condition of the source being your heart. Your speech shows the condition of the source, meaning your heart or your spirit. Jesus says in Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of your spirit, your mouth speaks. The tongue is a little two-ounce piece of flesh that's mostly comprised of water. You cut it out, it's worth nothing. But when that thing is attached to your spirit, your sin nature, it has the power to kill. It makes great boasts. It's deadly. It says in this passage of James, these are some of the characteristics, that it's set on fire by hell. 
It's unrighteous. It stains. It's a fire. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And again, most importantly, verse 8, it cannot be tamed by your own strength. It can't be tamed by a human. No one in this room has the ability to control their tongue. So God must. God must. It says in Romans 8, 13, if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. You've got to have the Holy Spirit sanctifying you. You've got to have the Holy Spirit cleansing the source in order to be cleansed at your mouth. Ask these two volunteers to come up, Brad and Leon, two of my friends, and grab one of these glasses of water, if you would. Go ahead and grab one of those glasses of water, and Brad, you grab yours. If you would, take a drink of that, and... uh, Let's have Brad go first, because I can. All right, so how did that taste? Like water. Like water. Leon? Lemon water. Lime water. Taste it again. A little salty. A little salty. We're, we're, we're right, thank you guys, you can go down. We're right here in the middle of uh, coming up on deer season here, and so what I did is I put a little bit of buck urine in that one. And uh, it's Morton salt. But, but the difference is, is that, I promise, we serve in Regen together. These are some of our finest leaders, and so I knew I could uh, get them to drink the buck urine. It's salt. Uh, the difference is I was the source in that case. And I uh, was devious in that. My heart wasn't right for me to put about four tablespoons of salt in one of those and hand it to my friend. And I would guess that if I did this illustration again and said, hey, I need two volunteers, I've got two glasses of water, not many hands would go up because they'd be like, I don't, I don't know what he put in that water. He made a fool out of that one guy and made him drink buck urine. I'm not, I'm not going near him. I don't want his water. I don't even want to smell whatever's in that cup. And in the same way, that's what's coming out of our mouths. James says, out of the same mouth come both blessings and curses. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? No. Implied, no. And that's what we're doing when we give off the deadly salt from our mouth versus the fresh when we're doing both, the blessings and the curses, it will not be long before people see you and they don't want anything to do with you, Christian, because of how you speak, because of the vile, deadly, salty nastiness that's coming out of your mouth at one time and then the other time is a blessing, teacher, that they say, no, I don't, I don't even want your water. You keep it. I don't need that. I'll get it from somewhere else. And the only way, do not miss this, because I think it's the, I know it's the crux of the issue. It's not what comes out of your mouth. It's your heart. It's your spirit. Because remember, no human being can tame the tongue. But God can tame your spirit. And in doing so, tame your tongue. And how does he do that? He does it by cleansing our spirit. We know from 1 John 1, 9, by confessing our sin, by having accountability, 
by being transformed by the renewing of our mind, by memorizing the word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might sin against you. That's time for me to stop. Thank you for that. And uh, Blake Holmes put you up to that? And uh, so guys, when you leave here, don't go Bible study. Don't go, I'm going to study the word. You let the word study you and you get in your circle and confess your sins to these men before God and let God cleanse your heart. And not just your random sins. Today we're talking about the sins of the mouth that have come out of the overflow of the heart. So get it out like I did on Monday and today that we would be cleansed. And you hide this word in your heart that there would be fresh water coming out, teacher and Christian, and not the salty dead water. Let's pray. God, this, this time that we have is yours. I pray that as we break up into groups, we would be faithful to confess the sins of our mouth to our brothers and to you, that we might be cleansed, that we would give off life-giving water instead of deadly water from our mouths, that we would bless and not curse. And we confess, Lord, that we cannot tame the tongue, but you can tame our spirit and thus tame our tongue. Thank you for these men. Thank you for the word. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.